You're listening to On the Radar, conversations with extraordinary women in science. I'm Julia Gray. This podcast series is brought to you by Anderson Press to celebrate the publication of I, Ada, a novel that explores the tumultuous teenage years of Ada Lovelace. The girl who would become the Countess of Lovelace was born Ada Byron on the 10th of December, 1815. She had the distinction of being famous from birth, on account of her father, the notorious poet Lord Byron. Ada's mother, Annabella, who had taken Ada away when she was six weeks old, was an accomplished mathematician who took pains to steer her daughter towards mathematics. Annabella's hope was that this approach would spare Ada from developing the alarmingly wayward tendencies and poetical nature of her father. The result was a little girl, and later a young woman, with an exceptional, nimble mind, capable of both flights of incredible fancy and solving the hardest of Euclidean puzzles. And although she was in her lifetime not recognised for it, Ada Lovelace is now widely known as the world's first ever computer programmer through her work with Charles Babbage and the commentary she produced at the age of only 26 on his analytical engine. Only Ada perceived that Babbage was developing far more than an automated counting machine. Her almost prophetic powers of comprehension and description showed that, a hundred years before the first computer would come into being, she had understood what such machines might be capable of. In many ways, she was a true visionary. My guest today is someone who is also adept at finding the invisible and inspiring links between disciplines, and who is constantly looking beyond the boundaries of what is currently possible. I'm very, very excited to be welcoming Dr. Sharma Rahman, who is a neuroscientist, artist, entrepreneur, and much more. In fact, Sharma, I would love you to introduce yourself in your own terms when you're ready. <laughs> to be honest, I think you've pretty much done it. So yeah, scientist, <laughs> artist, um, I suppose interdisciplinarian. Is that, an, is that a word? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> well, that's very much that's very much your focus, isn't it? Yeah, I like that sort of liminal space between the, the different, um, you know, knowledge domains. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what would be really interesting to talk about first is the journey that you took to get where you are today. Because as I understand it, you actually have experimented with quite a few different sciences, different disciplines before kind of reaching the place that you're at now. So can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. Um, so actually, we, we both met each other at UCL, huh? <laughs> yes. We, oh, my God, we did. Yeah. And, and at that point, um, actually, even then I was trying to change degrees even when I was there but like I, I first got in um doing like the biotechnology degree there and then I thought actually I'm, I'd rather do English and then they didn't let me do English so then I'm remembering this now actually yeah, exactly okay so you try to change to English they didn't let you and yes. then what happened and then they were like do you know what we do have a solution for someone like you I'm like what's that and like well somebody that's like you know wants to kind of look at the broader things right so if you do molecular biology you get to do more of biology you in fact also get to do genetics you get to do proteomics all this sort of stuff but you also get to do two like electives of your choice and they don't have to be anything to do with you know molecular biology so then I was like great I'm doing philosophy and they're like oh god damn it so then <laughs> you're like the first person in the biology department to do philosophy and do you know how much like admin that is <laughs> 
I was like, yeah, but you said I could. So there, you know, that's what I ended up doing. I ended up doing a philosophy elective and then also an amazing elective with a, a, a brilliant professor called Professor Tony Dickinson, um, who ran something called the House of Pain, which is incredible, um, in UCL, which is all about neuroscience. And we ended up doing this elective about drugs and the mind. And then from there, I got, I guess, on one hand, um, philosophy taught me how to think again and get my, you know, my passion back for for science in terms of like learning how to ask you know the right questions how to think how to approach um you know what you want to explore and then with the drugs in the mind aspect of it that's when I got really interested in neuroscience even more so it was always like you know a bit of a toss-up between the two and then I was like actually it still is neuroscience and then I ended up um essentially doing a, a, a master's called uh, integrative neuroscience, which really allowed me to see like every angle of it from like the psychology of it to the experimental sort of um, physiology of it, the systems neuroscience, the psychiatry, the philosophy, like all of it, which is incredible. And it was like the last year they were doing it. And, um, you know, oh, wow, that was lucky. <laughs> okay, yeah. So that, so that took you. So that was your master's was also at UCL or no, had you moved by then? I'd moved to Imperial, actually. The dark side, as they call it, uh, from, oh, no. <laughs> from UCL. Um, and actually, there was an opportune minute, like where where one of the professors came in and was like, you know, I'm doing this um, project on on music, and I was like, wait, hold on, I can I can put the two things together. It, it was almost like this sort of epiphany where I was like, that's incredible. I, I wow, that's what I want to do. I want to do my thesis with this guy, and you know, um, it was basically looking at this technique called neurofeedback, which is um, how you can train your own brain activity um, using, you know, v- visual sort of gaming uh, techniques to to wow. yeah, change your state of mind. And his whole thing was like, you know, we we ended up doing all these experiments at Trinity College, uh, which is a jazz institution in in London. And at that point, I was just like, you know, somewhere in the back of my mind, you know, I'd I'd, I'd been doing music since I was a kid, and like, you know, when I was like. 15 or something I was doing like nine hours piano practice and I oh my gosh yeah and but I hadn't I hadn't admitted to myself that that's what I wanted to do and I had no idea how to do it and I'd come from a background where you know I had no idea that you could go to like music college (laughs) for example or anything like that you know uh so it was like the secret desire to be a concert pianist or something that was never born and then at that point but you were but you were you were a busy a songwriter and musician though weren't you and it always been quite a big part of what of your life wasn't well, it well it was at that point I think that it became a bigger part so before then it was like I was promoting music a lot so for example at UCL was like the head of marketing at the at the at the radio station which apparently was like the the, the largest internet radio station in Europe I was like really? I remember this too <laughs> yeah right rare <laughs> FM so yeah exactly so we were doing a lot of like promotion and stuff and and I think it was at the masters like when I was doing the masters when the penny dropped where I was like, actually, I want to be doing the music. And yeah, I had, you know, started to doing, you know, do a little bit of band work at that point. But then that's when I picked up the sitar as well, right after finishing, you know, the master's. And I was like, I'm going to give myself four years and that's it. And then, you know, obviously you don't make it in four years, but like, you oh, know, I don't know. I think that's highly debatable. So, so for your, so already by the time you're doing your master's, you were starting to be interested in the concept of combining the disciplines of neuroscience and music. Um, But then you went on to do a PhD that did precisely that. 
Is that right? Yes, exactly. I think I think I kind of realized that I didn't want to choose and that I didn't have to choose. And like it was something I was rebelling against ever since I was 16 anyway, which is like, you know, when you're, you're made to choose at A-level. You're made to choose. Yeah. 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 You go down the sciences or the arts. And I was like, I, I, I want to do both. But, you know, again, I wasn't allowed to, which is quite interesting because like mm. my, uh, my my vice principal sat me down and was like, if you want to do English, just go read a book and write about it. And I was like, what, what? what are you talking about? Like, why can't I do this? And they're like, no, we need you for like, you know, the league tables for the science angle of things. So I'd always been pushed down the science like route. Well, um, because, well, because it, you were sort of likely to score in the 90s and it was a nice, easy kind of choice. Sort of, easy I guess, way to for push them you. anyway. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, mm, I kind of want to do both. So it was like, I guess a dream come true. And I was just like, do you know what? I'm going to do something that people used to do, which is you make up your own PhD idea and then you approach approach professors with it um, rather than them having a grant for an idea they already had and then recruiting a PhD student to fulfill their dream. <laughs> well, well so. exactly. And and you found you had these two supervisors um, who absolutely allowed you to, to pursue your dream and there the, your PhD was born. Is that yeah, right? In fact, I had three. <laughs> um, <laughs> woo! Yeah, do things easily. Um, so basically, I, I approached both Goldsmiths and Imperial College, and they both said yes. And again, oh, I had this so moment good. where I was like, I don't want to choose. <laughs> so I actually made life probably very complicated for myself. But um, in the end, it was like Goldsmiths, I was doing a lot of the experimentation, like collecting a lot of the brain activity from musicians. And then at Imperial, I was part of the physics department, um, looking at complex mathematics, essentially. And, and looking at systems and how the brain is a system and um, the, the sort of the, the cognitive act of being creative musically is also a system that's also complex. So it was a really cool like marriage. <laughs> that is the coolest marriage. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it is very much that marriage that underpins NeuroCreate which is the one of the things that you do because you do many, many things. Um, but so I, I, was, I was looking at NeuroCreate and kind of wishing I could become your client immediately because <laughs> I, want, I, want to, I want your technology to map my flow state immediately. Um, but I would love it if you could explain to, to me and to the sort of lay person what NeuroCreate is precisely and how it works. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It, it, the journey starts from during the PhD. So so the PhD was very interdisciplinary. And the idea was to look at the neuroscience um, that is associated or underlies the creative process. So the creative process, meaning different types of creativity, but also different stages of creativity, but also like how it relates to innovation and design. And it's very interdisciplinary because I was looking at like philosophical thought models, but also like psychological aspects of it and computational creativity. And I was like, this is really great because a lot of it was, you know, based on thought experiments or like, you know, based on case studies or based on like, you know, interviews and stuff like that. And I was like, well, is there like one ring that binds it all? Is there some sort of like, you know, physiology, uh, some sort of biomarkers, they call it, that actually like... Um, corroborates that you know are, are there and signature are, and are there yes there are signature brain patterns that are related to different stages of creativity um, and it's not just my my work there's been other people looking at different types of brain imaging as well I looked at musicians who were improvising in jazz or interpreting in classical so I was like that's two different types of creativity but creativity they are nonetheless you know um, and other people looked at rappers and lyricists um, and accompanists you know um, 
um, and yeah, found found similar uh, brain activity patterns. And then yet other people looked at things like um, the you know the, the incubation phase that comes along just before you get your insight, your eureka moment. Um, wow, what know, Stephen I, King would call getting an idea. Exactly, and and you know there are actual networks that that come together. So you know what we're perceiving is not purely qualitative. You you actually get into these different mental states, and one of these mental states is the flow state, um, which happens in in creative thinking. It happens in creative work, but it also happens um, in you know athletes. It happens actually in any type of work um, that you know people do. So there's probably as many ways of getting into flow as there are professions in the world. Um, or passions in the world, right? And you might be like, what is flow? <laughs> so it's like, um, it's something that was coined by a positive psychologist called Tsitsen Mihai. Um, I can still probably not pronounce his name properly, but he's Hungarian and he is like one of the fathers of positive psychology. And in the 70s, he was trying to find out um, what is happiness, which is no tall order, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was like, okay, well, it seems that there's these sort of group of properties or, or behaviors that he can kind of put together that seem to happen together, which is... Um, when people get into this sort of state of flow, they get super absorbed and engaged in what they're doing. They lose track of time. They're also, um, and this is the part that's interesting to me, is that they have this both narrow and broad attention. So that means that they can look at the tiny details in like, like real stark detail, but still be able to see the bigger picture at the same time, which is what makes it quite different from focus, which is a bit more tunnel vision, right? Mm. Um, and then also this thing about um, being mentally super flexible. So it's like, for example, I don't know if you're a footballer and somebody's coming straight at you, you either freeze or you kind of go, okay, um, who do I pass the ball to, right? And similarly, as you know, as you're a musician, right? Like if you're like, okay, we're coming to that bit, but I have like another four musicians that I have to like, you know, do the, do the coordination with, but while still be this amazing singer, Julia, like you are, you know, and, and, and you know, uh, connect with the audience at the same time, you know, and you're just like, wow, I, there's a lot of things I have to look after. That's my own performance plus, you know, the rest of my team. So that idea um, is, is not only the sort of like, you know, simultaneous attention thing that I was telling you about, but the ability to be super mentally agile and flexible. So this whole thing, happens to be one of the states like you know one of the ultimate states of creativity um but you know it's in like i say in anything it happens to happen when you are in this sort of perfect balance between how hard the thing is and how easy it is so if it's too mm, yeah, hard sure. exactly if it's too hard you get like really frustrated if it's too easy you get really bored so yeah, it's you're like just, you're in the groove right exactly that yeah. you're in the and groove I think we all know I mean whether you're it's writing or, or even I don't know gardening or cooking or whatever like exactly as you say whatever your discipline is you know when you're in that groove and I always think that you know when you're faking it to yourself like you know when you're like oh I'm I'm really writing and actually you're not you're just counting words and yes and I to me I was I was um my analogy is always that I'm kind of skating over the surface and I haven't gone deep enough and I know I haven't and I'm cheating um I I think we all have those kind of metaphors that we that we use so so to um so to sort of um pick up on what you would do like because this is this is your business isn't it NeuroCreate so someone would come to you and say Sharma I would like you to help me map my flow state and then to sort of show me how I can augment my own creativity is that more or less what they would say 
Yeah, well, we um, basically we have a couple of different components to our Flow Create platform, <laughs> essentially. And the very first one is basically this AI powered um, collaborator that sparks creativity. So it helps you, um, you know, with your creative thinking, it augments that whole process. It tries to be your little assistant and helper in that whole process and tries to take you through these different stages to get you to at least a eureka moment where you go, aha, I have the idea. And so, wait, is that like an app or a program? How, yes. how does it manifest? So it's actually like um, it's, it's been it's been uh, created in a games engine. So basically you double click on it. It opens up. You enter in your username and your password. It's, it's all like cloud based. So mm. you have access to the Internet. And then you type in like a phrase that you're interested in exploring, uh, like a concept. Um, or you could be a stream of consciousness as you want. Or you could just copy paste like pages, you know, of something that you're interested in. And then what it will do is that it would um, visualize out the the concepts for you like digital sticky notes like a like a sort of visual mind map if that makes sense wow and then it would give you suggestions so that's where it starts becoming really active so we've created these um big knowledge graphs um so using natural language processing which is a type of ai um where you know the suggestions that it's giving you is drawn from these like knowledge graphs that have been trained on culture lifestyle trends but also from the innovation aspect on like 35 million different sources of like design, tech, science, art, uh, architecture, infrastructure, all that sort of stuff. So that whatever it's giving you is like context specific and, and relevant to your work because that's what you need for flow. It can't be completely random stuff, right? It's 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 the stuff yeah, that it, you do okay, for your It has work. to be pertinent to your immediate passion, the thing that exactly, you're pursuing. Exactly. And then within that, we start incorporating these sort of different techniques and mental models that do work when it comes to creative thinking, like um, different design thinking tools, like the six hats, which I don't know if oh, you've come across Oh, it. Edward de Bono's six, six exactly. thinking hats. Exactly. I love them. I planned my whole wedding using those hats. No way. Are you serious? <laughs> well, yes, because otherwise I kept getting stuck on the red hat. So in the end, I had to like realize when I was being a red hat which is your, your emotional responses take off the red hat use the green hat the yellow hat no I, I I think um I love I love the six thinking hats I think they're applicable to everything really yeah and and we're kind of trying to help uh, to to broaden your thinking about that so that's like the first stage of creativity is actually research and exploration and what they call that sort of preparation where you're like really broadly bringing in a lot of information to your mind really and this is the stage where you're like okay I have an idea but I want to refine and define that I want to learn more about it and you know whether that's science or whether that's for a song you know it's the same sort of process really applicable to everyone and everything so I mean who would your typical clients be so so at this point we're looking at um, creative agencies innovation hubs um, sort of even like innovation departments and corporates also brands like games all sorts of things because we've got all these like different knowledge graphs that we've created so that you know there there could be this sort of um, uh, suggestion that's useful to them but then we're also analyzing everything so we're helping with that second stage which is like the incubation phase where your brain basically starts um cogitating and all the information that you've just fed it and then that's often when people go oh you know I, you know I, I went for a walk I, I had a shower you know and then the idea came to me because what you're really doing is that instead of having this razor sharp focus when you're learning stuff you actually put the idea like almost you know 
metaphorically in a drawer, to one side, yeah, right? Yeah. But actually, your brain is still working on it. It's like um, there's this, something called the default mode network that comes on. So this is what other neuroscientists have found, that that's what's happening. Like you're essentially mind-wandering, you're daydreaming, um, and you're cogitating and finding the patterns in all of that information that you've just fed it with. So then what we're doing with this with this innovator the flow create innovator this ai powered creative collaborator is we're also analyzing all of that information and we're trying to help you find patterns that you might not have found so it's kind of like acts like your second brain it's like that augmenting that you're talking about and then hopefully you get to a eureka moment so that's that's like you know one component and then this other component is completely based upon neuroscience again so we found i found a signature brain pattern for when people are in the creative flow state and we have started um applying deep learning models on brain activity to basically uh, detect when you're in that flow state or not um, in real time. So right now we are in this uh, era where we're getting more and more wearables and most people are really like, you know, familiar with like the Fitbit things, right? Which is for, for your heart. But actually you also get brain sensing wearables and, you know, they're not like swimming paps anymore. <laughs> they're like more like, I don't know, Star Trek visors or something. So, <laughs> and, um, and that's what, that's what you would use in order to track, um, the flow state. Exactly. So the idea would be, you know, our next stage, which is why we're actually fundraising now, is actually to put the two things together and be like, not only can we track it, could we also try and gamify the experience a bit more? Yeah, of course. To, you know, just to help encourage you <laughs> get into that. Like we were saying, you can't get too bored and you can't get too frustrated. So how can okay. we make it well, so how, how fundable is uh, your typical wearable flow Visor. I mean, is it like, is <laughs> well, it we're like trying are they thousands to, um, or? We're, we're trying to be a pure software company. So for, for, for us, it's like, you know, there are loads of wearables out there. We're trying to create, you know, um, things that could be used agnostically As, with right, any wearable. And with you. Wow. That's the I, idea. Um, so, you know, they can be our partners. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure they will be. It's like, what you were saying just now really reminded me of a, um, a client I used to have a really long time ago I used to teach his kids and he always used to say if he couldn't think of something and he would post a letter to his brain um, uh-huh. and then wow. eventually he would get the answer and I think that's exactly what you were just talking about with the modal I now can't remember what it was that you the just default said mode network, the, de- the default one? mode network yeah <laughs> but, I, but ever since then it was a long time ago uh, probably around the time when I first met you I, I've always said to people oh no just post a letter to your brain Eventually, it will send one back. Um, but it is sort of true. You just got to yeah. let your creative unconscious just get on with things. Yeah, you have to get out of your own way, or yeah. you this basically, so you know, have another person or an AI. Yeah, 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 <laughs> to do it for you. I, I cannot you know. tell you how much I want to use this, this <laughs> AI in my life. Just to, to yeah. be, be my, my best friend as I'm. Yeah, as for I'm us, working. it's really like not to replace people. It's really putting people at the heart of it and trying to help what they do or what we do mm. you know um just as a little augmenting helper <laughs> i wanted to go back to the idea of um obstacles which you've kind of mentioned twice um uh, which really interests me people turning around especially when you're trying to sort of pursue uh, a choice uh, and saying no this this won't work and i mean it's been said to me um, in education plenty of times um because like 
we are not very much encouraged, certainly you and I weren't when we were making those choices, to go for the cross-curricular approaches. Mm, um, do you think that this is something that we should be doing in education from a very young age? Yeah, actually, before NeuroCreate, um, I had this art science creative production company called Jugular Productions, which was all about um, not only creating like um, work at that juncture. So we were doing like science theater, um, also cross-disciplinary dialogues and debates, but also creating workshops, which we were actually taking into schools. And I was trying to, <laughs> somehow I wanted to single-handedly reform the entire like <laughs> uh, curricula for the sciences. And then I thought that's absolutely futile because I can't do that on my own. So, <laughs> but yeah, there was a lot of um, what I wanted to say was connected up, um, you know, teaching in, in a sense. So for example, you know, uh, went in and did some GCSE and A-level biology stuff where we actually brought in, um, you know, academics who are working on uh, things to do with the circulatory system, but specifically the heartbeat. But actually, they're relating it to neuroscience and how actually the heartbeat is a... Um, the ability for you to feel your own heartbeat without taking a pulse, for example, is a sixth sense called interoception and how wow. that's related, you know, to, to emotional um, EQ, actually, and, and, and inter, interpersonal EQ. So to be able to be aware of somebody else's, um, you know, emotions is very much related to your ability uh, to, to, to detect your own heartbeat. So all these sorts of things that, like, the students hadn't even thought about. And, like, part of the workshop was, like, we actually got them to, like, meditate. <laughs> and 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 start doing their breath work you know they must love after, that yeah and then we, we we tried to bring in things like um like like uh sort of advanced context giving storytelling things where you know we would get them to then talk to their friends about what they just learned um but you know in the context of like i don't know an everyday scenario like they just met them at the shops or something you know that sort of thing where we're like really trying to bring those things together at that early age and afterwards we, we even did that for like physics and complex mathematics and we actually had some kids going i never thought i would do physics for university but now i'm considering it so, That's so cool. Yeah, I really think that should have been <laughs> or should be much think, more prevalent. Yeah, because I feel like, um, you know, we, we do draw links across the curriculum, but they tend to be content based rather than thought-based or system-based. Um, and I think what you're doing is fascinating, the idea that basically it's, it's exactly what Ada thought herself, which is that everything can be interconnected and interrelated. Um, and uh, you refer in a TED talk that you did, uh, which I've just watched and I loved, about neatly contained silos of knowledge and how <laughs> you, you long to move away into this incredible kind of web of interconnected thinking, um, which, which I love. And I, I think that we need lots more of it. And it's very much the way the way forward. Um, speaking of which, I was wondering what your next steps are in all your many interdisciplinary things that you're doing. What, what are your next projects going to be? Well, still carrying on with NeuroCreate. It's obviously uh, an interesting time because we're in this sort of lockdown period. And so what, you know, partly the fundraising aspect is is, is <laughs> challenging. Um, but also, you know, we are positioning our products now to be like super useful in a remote working condition. So, you know, when you're not 
you know, as as stimulated by everyday, you know, um, experiences like getting off the bus or, you know, seeing <laughs> yeah. a, a poster underneath the bridge or, you know, not chatting to your, you know, colleague all the time. In, in that absence, actually, an AI could be really useful to be your sparring partner. Oh, very um, much so, especially if you're lonely which I think um, many people are and we're craving company and and I think that's why we all sort of do quizzes with our friends every night even though we've now <laughs> answered every single quiz question that there is I think I think we are such sociable creatures I mean to have to have that AI in your as part of your kind of routine exactly um, must yes. be amazing it's kind of like a facilitator you know, like a non-human prompter or, you know, interact. It's, it's the interaction of it, really. So it just keeps kind of prompting you and probing you and, you know, helping you to think outside of your normal thought ruts, put it that way. So people often go, oh, do you know what? I never thought, you know, I had an unconscious bias about this or I had a blind spot about that. And somehow the AI helps them broaden out their their thinking. And so we're like, that could be super useful for people to do like individual exploration on a topic and then, you know, take the summary of that to 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 their colleagues whether that's zoom or whatever it is like yeah. we're doing right now <laughs> and again actually I, I also think or maybe this is just me but lockdown does force you to confront quite a lot of your attitudes and your sort of mindsets about things so again i think maybe this is quite a sort of interesting extra interesting time for 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 what you're doing um, and certainly it's made me get to grips with tech like in a different way or oh, yeah. <laughs> I've I've bought things that I didn't think I needed like a webcam and um, and I know yeah exactly <laughs> and I'm trying also to to do some more live streaming as far as music is concerned and like oh my god that's well that's you've a been doing some thing. amazing live streaming because I've been watching your live streaming and actually I, I must ask you just because I'm so desperate to know um you were the first sitarist in Antarctica yes <laughs> and I just need to know how that came about and how it was um like most things in my life it's like happy coincidences <laughs> um again I think actually I was talking to um another friend from UCL like who I hadn't talked to in, in a very long time a guy called Nadim and we were talking and he's like oh you're doing some really interesting things with the art science stuff and your music and I was like yeah thank you what are you up to happy birthday by the way um, and he goes, oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm organizing this thing, going to Antarctica. It's, it's all about art and science. And I was like, uh, hello. Oh, hello. Uh, I am uh, art and science. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, that is me. Hello. <laughs> and he goes, oh, well, uh, okay. Well, you know, send in a proposal. We'll see what we can do. So I sent in three. Because um, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Like, so ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to put the word explorer after my name. And oh, found as out you that you know, but apparently only Sir Ronald Fiennes can do that anymore. So I was just like, okay, I guess I can't, but this is my chance. I don't know. So I was like, okay, first of all, um, I play music, you know, and uh, second of all, I, you know, I facilitate the conversation between artists and scientists, you know, via jugular, you know, so at the time, NeuroCreate hadn't been born, you know, it was just still jugular. And then thirdly, can I please, please come and record like some whale song? <laughs> and so... <laughs> And, and, you know, all of those things put together, you know, and he was like, yeah, so imagine, you know, you playing the sitar on an iceberg, you know, that, that, that could be considered like an art form, right? Because actually this was part of the Antarctic Biennale. It was the very first Biennale to take place um, in Antarctica. So, um, you know, the way that they described it was like a ship of fools <laughs> bringing together the artists and the scientists to, to go on it. And I was like, do you know what? I don't care what you have to do. You had me at... 
Antarctica, right? So yeah. if, if it's me on an iceberg, I don't care. Like, whatever. You want to call it art, you can call it art. I, I call it music, but you can call it art. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that was that was basically the installation, um, which was, you know, going on, you know, uh, from, from the ship onto Antarctica, doing performances and then coming back on. And it, yeah, it was hands down one of the most, yeah, memorable experiences in my life and if you know I, I had a moment I had I am like, so moments. jealous I'm so I am so glad that you said yes to that uh, <laughs> and went went to him with your three proposals Shama it has yeah. been such a joy talking to you about everything that you do and I wish you so much luck with NeuroCreate and everything else that you are doing and thank, thank you. you for coming to be a part of On the Radar with me today thank you so much for asking me very honored <laughs> You can find out more about what Sharma is doing by visiting neurocreate.co.uk. In the following extract from iAda, we find Ada in something like the flow state that Sharma has been describing. Ada is ten and excited by the prospect of her first trip abroad. She's packing up her possessions, together with her governess, Miss Stamp. What's this little book, Ada? says Miss Stamp. Oh, just a notebook, I say, taking it. A book of poems. Your poems? Yes. I'd almost forgotten about them. A hodgepodge collection of verses written down in odd moments. Limericks, acrostics, any kind of poem I could think of, really. None particularly good. But Miss Stamp is keen to hear one, and so, rather shyly, I select one that I don't think is too badly constructed, and begin. My name is Ada Byron, and I see the world in numbers. Once I saw in pairs, eyes, cuffs, slippers. Then I saw in threes, good, better, best. Four compass points, north, south, east, west. Five upon my fingers and ten upon my toes. For the world contains more numbers than anybody knows. Oh, but it's charming, Ada. When did you write that? I'm not sure, I say, squinting at the date at the bottom of the page. I think it was when I had begun arithmetic properly. For a while neither of us speaks. I don't know what Miss Stamp is thinking about as we continue to sift through the books on the shelves, each choosing what she feels might be most useful for a tour of the continent and what might reasonably be left behind. It's a warm day. The windows are shut and I fall, as I so often do, into a kind of daze. And all the while the books mount up, looking for all the world like the brightly coloured towers that I once, not so long ago, built out of blocks in our Hampstead garden. A thought occurs to me all of a sudden. Worlds are built out of books, just as buildings are built out of blocks. The days deepens. My thoughts spin themselves into an ever-widening web, each filament glinting like a moonbeam shard. I see cities entirely constructed from books, from foundations to firmament, walls of tomes of green and blue and brown, some slim, some sturdy, but each forming an essential, immutable part of the fabric of the architecture. It's an entrancing scene, and I realise that this is the feeling of ideas, of an idea coming upon me, and a wave of such dizzying, blissful excitement that the idea must perforce be a good one. Miss Stamp, I say, I've just realised something, a decision about my future. I want to become a writer. What an excellent idea, she responds. You've been listening to On The Radar, conversations with extraordinary women in science. On The Radar was produced by Jonathan Moore and me, Julia Gray. 
mixed and edited by Jonathan Moore, and with special thanks to Paul Black, Rob Farramond, Chloe Sacker, Louise Lament, and today's guest, Dr. Sharma Rahman. Music by Second Person. I, Ada, is published by Anderson Press and available wherever you buy your books. <laughs>